Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. Yes, I can hear the smile on your face. What are we talking about today? Legends and hauntings from each state. I love those. And we're going to have a What Happened Today in History as well. February 9th is the day we're recording. In 1960, on February 9th, Adolf Coors, the heir of the Coors Brewery, vanished during his commute from his Morrison, Colorado residence. Well, what happened to him? He was abducted and held for ransom and then later found shot to death. Did they ever pay? What do you mean? Did somebody pay? Uh, I don't think so because he was already dead. I mean, they don't mean nothing. You can pay and then they just get murdered anyway. Oh, no. This incident sparked one of the FBI's largest manhunts for the search of Joe Corbett. They knew who'd done it? Corbett initially was a Fulbright scholar at the University of Oregon. He just figured that was too much work and I should kidnap some CEO. Well, he transitioned to medical school after 1951 because he fatally shot an Air Force surgeon, which resulted in a guilty plea for second-degree murder. What is wrong with this man? After serving some time in San Quentin Prison, he was later sent to a minimum security facility, and he escaped under the name of Walter Osborne. Oh, no. Sulling the very name, Osborne. (laughs) (laughs) Following Corr's abduction, a burning car was discovered in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which led authorities back to Corbett, whose yellow mercury had been seen in the area before the kidnapping. Soil traces from the vehicle matched the abduction site. And seven months later, Coors clothing was found near Sedalia, Colorado, which led to the discovery of his remains. A ransom letter linked to Corbett's typewriter, along with mail order purchases of restraints and a firearm, further linked him to the crime. Oh, goodness, sir. You don't <laughs> you don't know how to crime well. No, you should should have stuck to the medical career. Maybe not because you don't seem like a very good person. No, you don't. Um. <laughs> The FBI pursued Corbett across Canada, which led to him being apprehended in Vancouver. Corbett, who remained silent throughout his trial, was convicted in 1961, and based on this substantial evidence, he was released in 1978 and then passed away in 2009. Wow, he done fairly well for all life, considering he didn't... Wasn't a good person? Yeah, some of most of them kind of pass away in prison or executed... Yeah. Or do something else to get locked away over and over and over and die on a car chase or something. Yeah. In Maryland, there is Chessie, the Chesapeake Bay monster. I don't recall seeing that. Uh, no, I don't recall seeing it either. People call it the cousin of Nessie. Oh, well, yeah, it's called Chessie. They've talked about seeing the sea monster since about 1930s. And during the 1970s, there were numerous sightings of Chessie. But in 1982, Bob Frew was believed to be the first to record a video of the Chesapeake Bay monster. That's early. Yeah. And that's when everybody started paying attention to this story and the mysterious creature. Frew described Chessie as a telephone pole that swims, not like a snake from slithering side to side, but curling movements up and down. I was thinking of an inchworm. Wouldn't it be easier to say an inchworm the size of a telephone pole? Yeah, it would. It'd also be great to think of one. Yeah. He said that its head was a little more round than the size of a football and that it was shaped like a horse's head, which makes me wonder, did he see a pony with a log behind it? Yeah, that's what he was after. (laughs) He estimated its length to between 25 to 40 feet and that the creature's girth 
measured around 10 inches in diameter. It is really like a pole. It's very skinny. (laughs) (laughs) Frew wasn't the only witness to Chessie in the 1980s. Numerous individuals, including many on Kent Island, also reported these sightings. In 1985, a state law was proposed to protect Chessie. Isn't that cute? Yeah. This led to a growing awareness of the environment. And the Smithsonian scientists watched Fru's video and confirmed it showed an animal, but they didn't really say much about it. They said they couldn't identify what kind of animal it was. But it most certainly isn't a chassis. They also apparently insisted that the video had not been messed with, that it was real, and it was some sort of animal. Okay, so it's hard to tell what it was, but according to them, it wasn't a monster. It's just an animal. Is there oarfish in that area? I don't know. But... An oarfish doesn't really have that type of head, does it? I don't even know what one is. It's a big, long fish, and it's supposed to show up about the time there's disaster. So it's also a mythical creature. Because from what I understand, I don't know much about it, but they like to stick to the deep end of the waters. But if they come closer to shallower ends, that's when some sort of historic catastrophe is supposed to happen. At the time, Frew mentioned that nobody in the scientific community would acknowledge anything beyond noting that it wasn't an otter. (laughs) What kind of otters do you have that is that size? (laughs) That would be a terrifying otter. There was an odd animal outside our house on the cameras, and I think I will send you a video of it. Maybe we could start our own Nessie. We don't live near that much water. We don't have a Nessie in our yard, do we? No. What was the animal? I don't know. It's something large without a tail. A bear? No, it's not that large. More like a deer. A, a big house cat, but not a cat. Mountain lion? No, it's not a cat. It's not a cat. Of any sort. Coyote? Not a dog either. Why are you just now mentioning this? I sent it to mom. Well, you didn't send it to me. Our yards are the same yard. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find it. You go ahead and keep talking. The scientists described it as resembling a prehistoric eel that breathed like a whale but wasn't able to elaborate anything further. <laughs> and the eel that breathes like a whale. And resembles an otter, but, <laughs> or that it does not resemble an otter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there are no reports to indicate that Chessie has caused any harm or hurt anyone in any way. It's described as being gentle and harmless. Well, that's good. The most recent reported sighting of Chessie was in 2014, when a man informed a local newspaper that he witnessed a large serpent-like creature swimming up the Magothy River. I had no idea where that's at. Nope. Not a clue. But I thought it was cool. Yep. I like Chessie. Yep. I can't believe I've never heard of her. Him. It. Giant telephone pole. Yep. Slash eel. Yep. (laughs) I sent you that video. I see. I'll watch it later. You can watch it now. Okay, I'll watch it now. Are you sure it's not a groundhog? I thought it was, but everybody tells me it couldn't be. Looks like a groundhog to me. I don't know. Giant kidding pig? I thought that. Mama said rabbit. Rabbits don't walk like that. No. It looks like a giant guinea pig. What if its tail is hidden and it's just that really big raccoon? How, have you ever seen a, a raccoon tuck its tail? No. Okay. You need better cameras. I can up the quality, but the battery would only last half a year. It really does look like a giant guinea pig, Mm -hmm. but it does have a very short tail. I can see that. Yeah. It could have been a a raccoon that lost its tail. That's a possibility. Do coyotes go after raccoons? I I think they go after whatever they want to. They're like our version of a jackal. Hmm. I don't know. Nor do I. 
Now we should name it and then start some sort of uh, tourist a, giant <laughs> a tourist trap. <laughs> or a giant um, guinea pig. Oh. Gibbles the guinea. Gissy. <laughs> Moving on to Massachusetts. I don't like that when it's hard to say. Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently Iowa is hard to say. Iowa. I just said it. Hoosack Tunnel Haunting, I believe is how that's pronounced. That's how I'm going to pronounce it anyway. Okay. The construction of the railroad tunnel commenced in 1851, but wasn't completed until 1875. By the time the tunnel was completed, after 24 years, nearly 200 men had lost their lives in what became known as the Bloody Pit. Most of the deaths occurred due to explosions, fires, and drownings. That's not great. No. That happened a lot, though. Yeah. March 20th, 1865, explosives expert Ned Brinkman and Billy Nash and Ringo Kelly planted a nitro charge and attempted to run towards a safety bunker. Attempted. That's (laughs) not the greatest thing to hear. Brinkman and Nash didn't reach the safety in time. Kelly prematurely detonated the charge. Whoopsie! (laughs) resulted in Brinkman and Nash being buried alive under tons of rock. Shortly after the accident, Kelly vanished. He wasn't seen again until March 30th, 1866. His body was discovered two miles inside the tunnel, precisely where Brinkman and Nash had perished. He had been strangled to death. Deputy Sheriff Charles F. Gibson estimated Kelly's time of death to be between midnight and 3.30 a.m., Despite an investigation, the murder remained unsolved due to the lack of suspects. Isn't that the witching hour? Yes. Ooh. Well, I think three to four is supposed to be that. I don't know. I don't think... The, Some say midnight. I don't think supernatural beings adhere to our uh, time zone laws. Mm, makes sense, because apparently people in your dreams get mad if you ask the date and time. Probably because they don't have a phone nearby to <clears> tell you. Um, Possibly. I remember seeing Papaw in one of my dreams, and I asked him what time it was, and he didn't look mad. He just had this, he had, his face went from his normal plain, you know, not smiling, because it was very rarely a smile, face, to this silly, disappointed frown. <laughs> All the things you could ask me from the so afterlife. So it wasn't exactly this is frightening. What you he didn't look like he was about to attack me, like some people say. But he just looked disappointed. I've never asked anyone in my dreams what time it was or what day it was. Some of the workmen speculated that Kelly had been killed by the vengeful spirits of Brinkman and Nash. I suspect his relatives. Well, I suspect that Brinkman or Nash's relatives may have been. That's who I would have questioned first anyway, if there was any relatives around. But it's not a good story if it's just a murder. <laughs> well, true. They feared the tunnel and believed it to be cursed. Paul Travers, a mechanical engineer employed on the Hoosac project, had previously served as a highly respected cavalry officer in the Union Army. In a letter to his sister in Connecticut, dated September 8, 1869, The Cracker Barrel has fallen. (laughs) (laughs) The engineer wrote, quote, The men constantly complain of hearing a man's voice cry out in agony and refused to enter the great shaft after midnight, <laughs> after nightfall. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I don't realize some things as I'm typing. I'm just kind of into it and not really paying that much attention, I suppose. <laughs> Mr. Dunn has reassured them time and time again 
that the strange sound is nothing more than the wild winds sweeping down off the mountainside. Our work has slowed to the point where Mr. Dunn asked me to help him conduct an investigation into the matter. Last night, Mr. Dunn and I entered the Great Tunnel at exactly 9 p.m. We traveled about two miles into the shaft and then stopped to listen. As we stood there in the cold silence, we both heard what truly sounded like a man groaning out in pain. It's probably all these tons of mountain trying to adjust to the new hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like they would make noises. You are blowing it up. As you know, I have heard this same sound many times during the war, yet when we turned up the wicks on our lamps, there were no other human beings in the shaft except for Mr. Dunn and myself. I'll admit I haven't been this frightened since Shallow. Mr. Dunn agreed that it wasn't the wind we heard, perhaps Nash or Brinkman, I wonder. Oh, that's a spooky story to write home about. Mm -hmm. A month later, on October 17th, 13 miners perished in a gas explosion. The great shaft strikes again. That tore apart a surface pumping station. <laughs> Debris filled the central sh shaft where the miners were working. A miner was lowered by bucket and rope to search for survivors, and upon being brought back to the surface, he was nearly unconscious from the fumes and gasped. No hope. With the pump station out of commission, the 538-foot shaft quickly <laughs> filled with water. Some of the deceased miners' bodies surfaced, and over a year later, the rest were discovered on a raft that they had constructed to float on the rising water. Oh, wow. They had suffocated from the deadly gas vapors. During the period when the miners were missing, villagers shared eerie tales of vague shapes and muffled cries near the water-filled pit. Workmen reported sightings of the lost miners carrying picks and shovels through a veil of mist and snow at the mountaintop. The apparitions would vanish after briefly appearing, and would leave no footprints in the snow. That's creepy. Yep. As soon as the raft-bound miners were discovered and given proper burials, the sightings of apparitions stopped. The moaning <laughs> sounds continued deep inside the tunnels, terrifying the workers, though. Dr. Owen visited the tunnel, accompanied by James R. McKinstry. Dr. Owens recounted the following experience. Quote, On the night of June 25, 1872, James McKinstry and I entered the great excavation at precisely 11.30 p.m. We had traveled about two full miles into the shaft when we halted to rest. And then I'm going to skip forward a bit because this is long enough as is. Suddenly, I heard a strange mournful sound. It was as if someone or something was suffering great pain. The next thing I saw was a dim light coming along the tunnel from a westerly direction. At first, I believed it was probably a workman with a lantern. Yet as the light grew closer, it took on a strange blue color and appeared to change shape almost into the form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating along about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped and a cold icy chill ran up and down my spine. The headless form came so close that I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too terrified to move. As eerie. Mm. Headless. I don't think I've ever been frozen. Smoke. <laughs> stiff like <laughs> no i normally run what is it freeze flight or fight fight or fight. i flight that's my go-to yeah my do run for your life october 16th 1874 frank webster a local hunter disappeared three days later a search party discovered him stumbling along the banks of the deerfield river in a state of shock he claimed that strange voices had commanded him to enter the Husak tunnel where he encountered ghostly figures roaming about. 
suddenly something seized his rifle from his hands and struck him over the head with it. (laughs) No. When searchers found the hunter, he had no weapon with him and couldn't remember leaving the tunnel. Joseph Impaco, a former employee of the Boston and Maine Railroad, asserted that the tunnel ghosts saved his life twice. Apparently, they're knocking some people in the head with their own guns and saving others. A leap there. (laughs) (laughs) He recounted to reporter Eileen Cooperschmid. (laughs) I'm sorry if I did not pronounce that right. You certainly didn't. (laughs) That while chipping ice from the tracks one day, he heard a voice urgently saying, run, Joe, run. When he turned around, he saw a number 60 coming straight at him. That's a train. Yeah, I figured. I don't know anything about trains, but I'm train tracks, so I assumed it was a train. (laughs) It's just a big number, (laughs) Phantom 60. (laughs) When he searched for the source of the voice, he found nobody there. Then six weeks later, Joey was using an iron crowbar to free freight cars stuck on icy tracks when someone shouted, Joe, Joe, drop it, Joe. (laughs) It sounds like a cheer. He quickly dropped the bar, and moments later, it was struck and smashed against the tunnel wall by 11,000 volts of electricity from a short-circuited overhead power line. Oh, that sounds deadly. Yeah. On one occasion, college students brought a tape recorder into the tunnel. They turned it on and left, and upon retrieving it later, they discovered that the tape contained sounds resembling muffled human voices. That happens a lot. I believe voices before I believe orbs. (laughs) Yeah. Traveling on to Michigan. We're going to talk about the dog man. I couldn't really find much about this one, so it's kind of short. Interesting name. Yeah. The dog man is described as seven feet tall with blue or yellow eyes. It has a frightening humanoid howl. Some describe it as a human cry. That's creepy. It walks on its back legs and resembles a man, but also possesses characteristics of a canine-like creature. The torso and below is from what I understand, man, but the head is dog. I'm assuming hairy all over, though. I don't know. Reports of the Michigan dog man have been documented since the 1800s. The first known report was in 1887 by two lumberjacks who encountered a creature they described as having a man's body and a dog's head. They reported that the dog man walked like a man and screamed, and that it also left claw marks on an old church door nearby. It is said to have been stalking the area around the Manistee River since the days when the Ottawa tribes lived there. So even though stories from the 1800s was first thought to be when it was seen, apparently these tribes talked about it as well. Legend has it that sightings of the dogman occur in a 10-year cycle, typically falling on years ending in the year number seven. So I guess we got three more years Yeah. before we see anything about a dogman. In a more recent incident, it was reported that the dog man ran in front of a man's car, causing it to flip over, which is what a lot of the witnesses say, that it shows up in front of their cars. Many of the witnesses say they thought at first they were encountering wild dogs, but they only found one larger dog that looked part human and stood on its hind legs. In Minnesota, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, we're going to talk about Wabasha Street Caves, W-A-B-A-S-H-A. It was opened in 1933, located at 215 Wabasha Street, South St. Paul, Minnesota. Indigenous tribes in the area utilized several naturally occurring caves carved out of the soft St. Peter sandstone by the rushing waters of the Mississippi. 
In the 1940s, some of these natural caves were expanded and new ones were dug out for mining sand for the production of glass. Then in the 1880s, mushrooms were grown into <laughs> within the interiors of the West Side Caves. In the early 1900s, a French immigrant who settled in St. Paul initiated a mushroom growing operation with investors within what are now the Wabasha Street Caves. By the early 1920s, during Prohibition, he transformed the caves into a restaurant and a nightclub named the Wabasha Street Speakeasy. Sounds exciting. Not just the name. Sounds like a cool place to visit. Yeah. And get arrested. <laughs> yeah. On October 26, 1933, William and Josie Lemon, <laughs> Lemon, L-E-H-M-A-N-N, launched the Castle Royal nightclub within the same caves. This one seemed fancier. It had chandeliers, also Castle Royal. Both the Wabasha Street Speakeasy and the Castle Royal were reportedly visited by recognized criminals at the time. According to the local legend, four gangsters were playing cards in the fireside room at the Castle Royal when a man with a case arrived and abruptly asked the man to leave, which they did as they were told. This left only the five men and a waitress, and the waitress briefly left the men to go into the kitchen. She heard what sounded like gunfire from a Tommy gun. When she ran back into the fireside room, she found three men shot to death. It's all that Chicago typewriter's fault. <laughs> the fourth card player had fled with the man carrying the case. That sounds like a mob yeah. problem. You get yourself a mob problem there. Call an exterminator. <laughs> the prohibition agent. The waitress immediately contacted the St. Paul police, and upon their arrival, they entered the cave to investigate without her. When they returned, they accused her of filing a false police report, stated that they found nobody's blood or evidence of a crime. Their cleaner came real quick. <laughs> the waitress insisted that the bullet holes in the fireplace stones were proof of the crime, and rumor has it that the three murdered men were buried in another cave, either by the killers or by the police themselves. I don't know what to make of this whole mess. It sounds fishy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sounds like some bad police on the job. Bullet holes can still be seen in the fireplace of the fireside room to this day. Castle Royal was shut down in the late 1930s as a result of the start of World War II. And then afterward, it was turned back into a mushroom growing area. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1970s, Castle Royal 2 was opened. I hate naming conventions like that. <laughs> It was closed. Why did it even have to call it two? What? Yeah, you could have put Junior at the end of it. They could have just called it Castle Royal if the first one wasn't even open anymore. Apparently they have weddings and stuff there, though. A venue for that kind of fancy party stuff. Ah, formal, awkward ones. In tunnels. <laughs> Less formal. Yeah. Ignore Follow the mold. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how you grow mushrooms. Yeah. Following the opening of Castle Royal 2, reports emerged of equipment mysteriously flying off the stage with no explanation in the main cave. <laughs> and this is where previous clubs had hosted five live performances. Sounds dangerous. Yeah. Other sightings include a ghostly woman in the bar area and the apparition of a man seated in the audience near the main stage. Additionally, some witnesses claim to have seen a man wearing a Panera hat. Reportedly, there is a photo of a young boy who attended a wedding and encountered a group of ghosts. The image is said to show the boy sitting at a table smiling and misty forms surrounding him. Creepy yeah. enough. They just want to play some cards. Mm -hmm. Maybe shoot a few Tommy guns. Another tale is of a boy playing with a ball that bounced into the men's bathroom. 
The young boy playing with the ball claims to have seen a man dressed in a gangster attire. He said the man straightened his tie, turned to face the boy, smiled and winked at him and then vanished. That's a very bold thing to be doing to a boy in a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Apparently, there are many recorded deaths due to carbon monoxide poisoning in these caves walls as well. Well, that's a great place to have a wedding. (laughs) Just tell the caterers to go ahead and to light up all fair, the heaters. I've seen only one source that said this last part. So I don't know if I because I a try chance. to look at a few different areas while doing this. Yeah, we don't list all our sources because our subjects are so varied in one episode. Usually, yeah. that it if would just a be book a list or a show yeah. that I got it from. I try to list them or at least mention them. But when it so, comes to this, I don't use a book or. Normally, I don't even use documentaries. I'll just do internet searches, and I'll try to go to a few different websites. Yeah, and none of us is gospel. Internet's <laughs> um, that gospel. But we, we do try to, you know, make sure at least one or two match up that are reputable of sorts. But there's just so many here in one given episode that if yeah, we had so many l- people lie on the internet, it is absolutely ridiculous. It would just be a list of sources. Uh, <laughs> that's all our description would be. Just a massive list of sources. Yeah. Now, we're going to Mississippi. I like Mississippi. You've never been to Mississippi. No, but I like the name. We're going to talk about the ghosts of Deer Island. Deer Island is located about a quarter mile off the coast of Biloxi. You say that like I should know where it's at. Somewhere in Mississippi. The Long and Narrow Island is about four to 700 acres. Different sources said different things about the size of the island. So I just say 400 to 700 because that was the varied range. Mm Mm-hmm. It's inhabited by 10 various types of endangered species. Presumably deer? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to assume it's called Deer Island. I didn't really look into what species. I do know that it's both plants and animals, though. Well, not all deer, then. No, not all deer. It's also the home of two ghosts. Really endangered. (laughs) Beyond saving. (laughs) (laughs) The two ghost stories from Deer Island are among the oldest in the South. I would assume that that's some of the earlier ones is in the South. Mm. Unless you yeah. include the Native American ones, which I guess a lot of people just don't bother with. I'm sure theirs are more interesting. Mm-hmm. They were first recorded by A-G-R-A-G-U-S-I-N, Ragusa, in the Sun Herald in 1922, making this story of the ghost of Deer Island nearly a century old at that time. Captain Eugene Tibler Sr., was quoted as the source of the tale. He recounted two fishermen who were spending the night on the island and heard rustling from the bushes. Assuming wild hogs are what was causing the noise, the men initially paid little attention to it. However, as they attempted to ignore it, the sound grew increasingly louder. Eventually, they decided to investigate and were shocked to find a headless skeleton standing upright among the palm trees. You don't come across that very often. No. (laughs) <laughs> it's a skeleton, Cindy. It's just bu- <laughs> <laughs> the. T- <laughs> uh, I love that movie. The two men quickly fled to their boat with the headless skeleton chasing them, like Scooby Doo. Now that's a story you don't hear unless it's an actual <laughs> scary story or movie or something. You don't hear about actual skeletons chasing people. <laughs> they barely managed to escape and left all of their equipment behind. Litterers. The tale of the headless skeleton stems from an ancient pirate legend. As the story goes, a pirate captain navigated his vessel into Biloxi Bay to conceal a substantial treasure. Is this 
Or they got the idea for Cat Island and Scooby-Doo. That's what I was thinking. It sounds like a Scooby-Doo episode. I'm pretty sure this is where they got the movie Zombie Island. (laughs) They buried their gold on Deer Island and decapitated one of their crew members, left his body as a guardian of their stolen riches. Uh, I heard the pirate crews of democracies. I wonder how that vote went. (laughs) (laughs) He must have been the least favorite. I would crew, hope so. The annoying one. Imagine having to draw straws and the most useful person, like the ship's doctor oh, no, or no, chef, no. got no. picked. No. If I was a pirate captain, we are not drawing straws. We're just going to kill off the most annoying one. Another fisherman confirmed the apparition of the headless skeleton to Ragusan, the reporter. <laughs> I'm just going to call this man the reporter. It sounds like you're Or woman. I don't know. It was initials. So. A pasta sauce review. <laughs> This fisherman claimed to have witnessed it while exploring the island with two other individuals. They also heard rattling from the bushes and witnessed the headless skeleton emerge from the bushes. We say bushes a lot on here. Bushes. It was a type of palm tree, and I didn't know how to pronounce the type of palm tree. It started with a P. Palm. So I looked it up, and some of it, it said bushes, but also showed a picture of big palm trees as well. (laughs) Well, these three men were terrified, so... All of them rode back to the mainland as quickly as they could. The ghost of Deer Island is believed to be the cause of mysterious lights and strange sounds that are still observed on the island to this day. It's a wonder they haven't said it was UFOs yet. I bet there's an episode of Ancient Aliens that says it is. (laughs) I wouldn't know. I don't watch it. In Biloxi's history, there was another legend called the Firewater Ghost. It's a mysterious blue light that was seen drifting over Biloxi Bay. This was before electric lighting was invented. According to the legend, the mysterious light often moves across the bay between Biloxi and Ocean Springs, wherever they are. Somewhere in Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) If it's a bay, it's near the sea. Yep. Captain Tiblier. (laughs) Well, that's what it looks like. (laughs) T-I-B-L-I-E-R. Who shared the tale of the ghost of Deer Island, recounted that he and his brother witnessed the firewater ghost around 1892. Is it firewater a name for liquor? Is it? I believe it is. Maybe that was the cause of the problem. Yeah. Because he's the, also the one, one of the ones that saw the headless skeleton. Oh, this is most certainly an <laughs> alcohol issue. <laughs> On an island with, as far as I can tell, no people. It's, it's like moonshiners or something <laughs> trying to hide their steel. That's the treasure. Well, it really does. It sounds like this person... And these few fishermen are trying to scare people off so they can find treasure. To me, it sounds like a Scooby-Doo episode. And these people are trying to scare off other people and they're trying to find the treasure. Mm-hmm. You meddling kids. <laughs> you meddling. Okay. <laughs> What's a skiff? A skiff. It's a boat. Okay. While rowing a skiff in Bl- Back Bay. Back Bay. Okay. At approximately two in the morning. They were startled by the sudden appearance of the blue light. It's the police. He mentioned that the light traveled approximately one foot above the water, and he and his brother stopped their rowing and observed as it crossed the bay, and then eventually disappeared near Ocean Springs. The local legend suggests that the firewater ghost is a spectral guardian who patrols the bay carrying a lantern. They have a spectral guardian, not guardian, a spectral thing patrolling a bay, a ghost, pretty much. In Oblivion, Nibbin Bay has hmm. a ghost that travels and you can hear stories and go find him and he'll take you to a shipwreck. I don't know if it has anything to do with this because I'm sure there's a lot of stories about ghosts around the beach. But Blue lights. Yeah. 
in Missouri, there is the Missouri State Penitentiary. It's located at 115 Lafayette Street, Jefferson City, Missouri. I think I've heard about this one. I don't know. There's a lot of penitentiaries and jails. And I've watched a lot of odds and ends, and I think I've heard about uh, this one. Apparently, quite a few famous or well-known criminals were there. Infamous. Yes, infamous. I looked up a few of them. I didn't bother to mention them because I don't know who, don't they, know are. who they are. <laughs> <laughs> so infamous that we don't know. Yeah. Strictly. Uh, I remember the hearing the story of one uh, woman and her boyfriend kidnapped a boy and was going to try to get money for him. Ransom. But yeah, they ended up shooting and killing him. Not to be mistaken for the story I just said. It wasn't the Coors boy. It was a different one. Yeah. It was a man, yeah. by the way. Not yeah. a boy. <laughs> yeah. This was a boy, a little boy. That's even sadder. Yeah. The penitentiary was opened in 1836. By 1932, it had approximately 5,300 inmates, and it held the largest inmate population in the U.S. Not a fun place to I be. I don't know if that's something to brag about. It's not. Oh, it is not. It's, <laughs> it's hard to tell what kind of silly crimes they were in there for, too. Mm. It was also regarded as one of the most effective prisons nationwide. Does that mean it reforms them like it's supposed to, or does it just not let people escape? Um, I don't know. Some of them actually ended up, one of them became a boxer. I've heard of that one. That might be where I've heard of this. I, this is Scott's doing. He made me watch stuff about this. Yeah. One of them became a boxer. I know that much. Another one wrote a book. So maybe that's what it meant. It was the oldest operating prison west of the Mississippi River until it shut down in 2004. Tom Magazine called the prison the bloodiest 47 acres in America. Ah, so now we know what kind of reform went on there. Yeah. Uh, this would do, was due to the many injuries and deaths and um, in, inmate riot in 1954. Inmates endured severe abuse and neglect, the guards having the authority to whip them for minor reasons or no reason at all. When two guards entered the hall, the inmates overpowered them and took their keys. They ran along the cell block freeing other inmates as they pursued a jailhouse informant in housing unit three. As rioters flooded the deputy warden's office, armed troopers stationed on the roof were compelled to use machine guns and riot guns to drive the desperate prisoners out of the prison yard. Gunfire injured several convicts. After the riot, additional bars were installed in the middle section of Unit 3, along with extra cages. The prison had a section known as the dungeon. It's <laughs> also the hole, is what it's normally called. Solitary or something? But it, it definitely looked like a dungeon in the pictures. That's, it's a prison bed. <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> it contained eight cells where guards would mercil mercilessly? <clears throat> mercilessly whip inmates, often bringing them close to death. And you wonder why there was a riot. Was it just the officer drugging you in to that place got to whip you? Or is it just like the one whipping guy? I think it, it said guards. I'm assuming all of them. Okay. Because I was like, this guy has a very specific job, and he probably loves it. Yeah. It was reported that 12 to 18 men were crammed in this dungeon with no bedding, bunks, blankets, mats, or toilets. Why would they even do that? That's just not just a problem for the inmates. That's a problem for the people who take care of the inmates. Yeah, you, you're going to get poo flung at you. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it sounds like y'all kind of deserve it. It was also very dark in the dungeon. Well, you never heard of the flashy dungeon, did you? For all I know, they have disco balls in them. One inmate named J.B. Firebug Johnson spent the years 1883 to 1900 in the dungeon. Was he an arsonist? His name was Firebug. Mm -hmm. 
Well, his nickname. This was because he set fire, a fire that destroyed prison property and led to the deaths of several inmates. I like how that order is. He destroyed prison property. Oh, and some people died. Well, apparently it was quite a bit. Um, I want to say it said over $50,000. It was either fifty or 500 Okay. Thousand. Quite a bit of property. But the inmates' lives. Yeah. Upon his release, he wrote a book detailing his experiences in the dungeon. Housing Unit 3, where cell 45 was located, was where James Earl Ray served his time before he escaped. He was later the one known for assassinating Martin Luther King Jr. In 1938, the prison inmates constructed the gas chamber building. They also had factories and stuff on this prison and, and used prison labor. Yeah, a work camp. It's a work camp. Yeah. Prior to this, executions were carried out by hanging, and then the gas chamber was the location of 40 executions. You built a whole room just to kill 40 people. Probably a very expensive room. Yeah. But the last execution was not from gas. It was by lethal injection. Now, historic and paranormal tours of the prison are available, and some of the unusual experiences reported within the prison are the sound of coins falling on the floor, Sudden feeling of being touched when completely alone, and some reported feeling as if someone or something was breathing down their neck. They've reported witnessing ghostly apparitions, overwhelming smell of body odor. Are you in the dungeon, perhaps? When <laughs> <laughs> just you go into a locker a room after it's been, if it, mm-hmm. even if it's been shut down for years, you can still smell <laughs> like the smell of a locker room. Yeah, um, and then you get the other molds on top of it now. Yeah. They've also heard disembodied voices captured on recorders. There's equipment malfunctions and doors open on their own. Sounds like a drafty place. Yeah. Or a place that would echo, such as stone walls all around you. (laughs) (laughs) There I am being a skeptic again. (laughs) At least there's no orbs. I'm sure there was never a single orb sighted in this place. I don't know. Oh, Beth, you know there was. I don't know. I, I don't really bother putting them unless there's not much else to put because I, I don't care about your orbs yeah your specks of dust cell 48 was the former residence of a prisoner known for being a snitch during the riot in 1854 he was brutally murdered with a sledgehammer that's unfortunate for him why did they have a sledgehammer i feel like that's when unless you're working why does a prisoner have a sledgehammer where it's did they camp. get this it's a work camp yeah, but I feel like they shouldn't have had access to those unless they were working. Yeah. Which they may have been. Mm-hmm. Visitors to this area have reported experiencing strange feelings. This one was said to have been caught on camera. What? I feel like something got deleted. Why? Well, how are you going to catch strange feelings on a camera? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I definitely needed to type something else there, but I must have missed it. Uh. (laughs) Moving on. Near the control room and in certain housing units, there are reports of an entity known as Fast Jack. This figure is often seen wearing a white lab coat and holding a clipboard. He's believed to have been a trustee who worked in the medical facilities. Witnesses claim to have seen him pass through walls or vanish suddenly shortly after appearing. In the female wing, sightings of a ghostly female figure dressed in a vintage, in vintage clothing are common. Additionally, some reported seeing a man wearing an outdated prison uniform while leaning against a fence. 
and others have also experienced the sound of ghostly children laughing and even the sounds of a dog. The dog makes sense because they did used to use dogs. Uh-huh. Well, uh, they may still to hunt down people that try to escape. Why was their children laughing? It's just a story, Beth. <laughs> I don't believe that one bit. I can believe a lot of these or like to believe a lot of these. I cannot believe there's a bunch of children laughing in the abandoned prison. Okay. <laughs> Unless they're teens and they want a place to smoke. They shouldn't be children. No. Throughout the facilities, visitors and staff have reported a variety of paranormal experiences. The sound of cell doors slamming shut, ghostly footsteps, loud banging noises, sightings of shadowy figures, the smell of cigarette smoke in areas where smoking is prohibited. Shame on you. <laughs> Nobody would break that rule. <laughs> Mysterious movements of objects and sightings of fast-moving entities. Additionally, many have described feelings of dread, sorrow, and the sensation of being watched. And that's where we're ending this for today. These are fun. I like these. I forgot which state is next on in the alphabetic list. Montana. Thank you for telling me some more about these interesting places. A very few of these I've heard about. Sometimes we come across ones I've heard about, like the Chessie. Never heard of Chessie. Yeah, I like learning about Chessie. Well, if you like what you heard here, we are part of the Gruesome Gaming Group Network of Podcasts. There's another couple episodes or shows we have. One's called Brother Knows Quest. It's where I tell Beth here about tabletop role-playing games. A different one each week. It's not a review. It's more of a discussion about what it's, what this certain game, whatever it is, is like. And then we have her um, leveling duo. It's a podcast for me and my friend Dakota to talk about video games that we enjoy. I'll leave a link in the description of this episode to our um, link tree. It will take you to all of our other stuff, such as our socials, our YouTube, where I stream occasionally, where our Twitch, where I also stream occasionally. Our, the first link in that link tree will be our website, where all of our podcasts go up. So if you want to find them, go on that first link, and you can subscribe to them or just search them by name, whatever you like. Feel free to leave us a review. Reach out to us on any of the socials. There's also an email in the description, two emails. You can reach out to the network in general or Beth with the second email, Horrific History and Hauntings. Let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear, or just tell us what you think. Leave a review, like I said, uh, on a podcast player, or send us a leave a comment on their YouTube version of these podcasts, and we'll see those too. We're still working on the subscription-based stuff, so keep an eye out for that. We will obviously say when it is up and ready. We just want to get plenty of word out in advance. Again, thank you. I have been Ramey. And I'm Ben. And this has been HH&H. Bye-bye. <laughs>